the problem was that I had my volume turned all the way down on my uh, on my interface. Uh, I stand by my messages to you. <laughs> when you said, "What the fuck is your problem, bro?" Yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. That, that's a solid one. Um, I, I want to share something with you real quick before we start. Is that cool? Um, I love sharing. All right, great. Uh, have you heard of the shopping cart theory? I have not. So it crossed my path the other day. It's, it's uh, it looks like it was posted in 2020, May of 2020. Uh, but as a retail uh, professional, I'm sure you'll appreciate this. It says, the shopping cart is the ultimate litmus test for whether a person is capable of self-governing. Interesting. Okay. To return the shopping cart is an easy, convenient task and one which we all recognize as the correct, appropriate thing to do. To return the shopping cart is objectively right. There are no situations other than dire emergencies in which a person is not able to return their cart. Simultaneously, it is not illegal to abandon your shopping cart. Therefore, the shopping cart presents itself as the apex example of whether a person will do what is right without being forced to do it. No one will punish you for not returning the shopping cart. No one will fine you or kill you for not returning the shopping cart. You gain nothing by returning the shopping cart. You must return the shopping cart out of the goodness of your own heart. You must return the shopping cart because it is the right thing to do, because it is correct. A person who is unable to do this is no better than an animal. Jesus. Okay, this is, just so you know, this isn't my personal opinion. But <laughs> I, I have actually heard this, by the way. I didn't realize what it was. Oh, you have? Yeah. Okay. Is no better than an animal, an absolute savage who can only be made to do what is right by threatening them with a law and the force that stands behind it. The shopping cart is what determines whether a person is a good or bad member of society. Well, I, I can tell you... As someone who works in retail, during COVID, we were, you know, we've been doing lines outside, and uh, especially in the first, I don't know, four or five months, just railing lines of coke right outside. <laughs> yeah, we're just doing lines of coke right outside the store. That's how we cope. That's how we cope with COVID. No, but uh, like the first five months, especially people, they they walk their carts back to back to us. They would always walk their carts right back to us. Like we basically didn't need to do cart runs for the first like five or six months of COVID because everyone brought their carts back. So I think they felt so guilty because we were standing right there, you know, outside like cleaning the carts and stuff. So uh, I don't know, I don't know if that's anything, but I will tell you now, now it's gone back to a, a healthy mix. You have certain people that walk it back and people that will just let that shit roll right into someone else's car. No, I think I think you, you got your finger on the pulse there that it was actually, um it was actually that they were being watched this time yep. and they felt bad. Like they're, you could call it a conscience, you can call it guilt, whatever, like got the better of them. And you know, that's, uh, that's what, that's what led to them actually returning it. Yep. But uh, I could, I could see that. And it made me look at myself as a different kind of person too, because like for me, it, it really, it depends. Like um, most times I will return it. If like if I'm alone, but if I'm with somebody else, I feel as if I'm inconveniencing them by taking the time to return it. Right, right, right. Like, well, like if there's a cart corral, I will always, I, you know, I'll put the cart in the car corral for sure. But you know, where I work, we don't have one because uh, the the, the uh, county won't let us put one in the parking lot. So you know, if you don't return your shopping cart, you're just literally letting it roll because it's on a hill to the parking lot. So no matter, almost no matter where you put it, unless you actually kick it up onto like an island with the front two wheels, that shit's going to roll into somebody's car. And it's just simple as that. Listen here, all you fucking civilians. <laughs> all right. 
If you if you listen to this conversation, you you heard it first, all right? From somebody here. Unless you return the cart, someone's suffering somewhere down the line. So whether it's another person's car or somebody who works That's right. There. My car was was hit by a shopping cart and I worked there, so Oh my god. I'm I'm sorry that happened to you. I I never knew. Yeah. I fucking ruined my car, actually. Tell you what, we'll do you a favor. You return your carts, and we'll return the theme. Here it comes. Welcome to the Politipop Podcast, the podcast where we take your favorite pop culture media and discuss the social and political themes within. I am your co-host, Mike Booch, a.k.a. Brother Booch, a.k.a. the pseudo-intellectual soy boy. And in my second seat, as always, is my co-host, Brother Ty. Hey, what's up? Not much, Ty. Uh, this episode has been brought to you, uh, all of these technical difficulties have been brought to you by Altice One, <laughs> uh, the the... Apparently the shittiest cable provider and internet <laughs> provider there is. Um, I've heard they make a good cell phone network, though, so at least there's that. Hey, they got something going for them, then. Yes, yes. It's amazing to to not have good enough Wi-Fi, reset the router, have no Wi-Fi, and then not be able to Google the problem because your mobile <laughs> provider that you also... I don't, I'm not with them through mobile. I, I've heard they're good, though. I'm with Sprint, and... Uh, and then I didn't have a good signal where I was, so I couldn't even Google how to, t- how to handle the problem. So, uh, what, what did they do back in like the 80s and 90s? You know what I mean? Yeah, when, they, when their Wi Fi went out in the <laughs> 80s, I could only imagine. Just couldn't even Google it. God. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so, so this episode here is going to be one of four episodes that are specific to black voices and black experiences, which, you know, we, we cover throughout the podcast. In, we do. In, you know, we did in Watchmen, we did in Lovecraft Country, uh, but, uh, but you know, since it is Black History Month, and, you know, while you and I are aware of black history all the time, and apparently a, a chunk of America is only aware of it in, in February. Yes. So, uh, before, yep. we get, before we get into the movie that we are reviewing today, uh, can you tell me a little bit about Black History Month? I can, I can. So, uh, Black History Month was started by Carter G. Woodson. Uh, he was known as the father of black history. He developed Black History Month. His parents were enslaved. He was an author, historian, and the second African-American to earn a PhD at Harvard University. Uh, he recognized that the American education system offered very little information about the accomplishments of African-Americans and founded the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History, now called the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History. Um, In 1926, he proposed a National Negro History Week, which is intended to showcase everything students learned about black history throughout the school year. Uh, But it wasn't until 1976, during the height of the Civil Rights Movement, that President Ford expanded the week into Black History Month. Um, And that's kind of the uh, the history of that. So we'll definitely have an article in the show notes uh, showing that. But yeah, so so Woodson uh, came up with the idea to highlight, you know, uh, black history, and eventually in the 70s, it finally became, you know, nationally recognized. So where you and I are like, I can't believe, you know, black history just isn't a part of the curriculum year round. You know, this guy's like, hey, I'm lucky we, I got a month, you know, I, yeah. I, I give me a week. And I, <laughs> I multiplied that by four and turned it into a black history month. So, um, no, I, I, you know, I, I didn't know about the, the inception of black history a month, but I am glad to know that it was a black man who, you know, had a very personal experience and attachment to it. And, um, you know, I think that that what started out at the at the time 
um, as like something that was great. So that way the mainstream could learn more about black history. You know, we are at a point now where I think it should just be uh, more commonplace in, in all of our teachings. Yeah. I mean, I think it was a huge victory for the time. Um, you know, obviously it was a huge victory for the time, but you know, with, with civil rights and all that and, and really getting it out there, uh, for white folks to know. And I think for, for black kids to learn their own history a little bit too. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I think it's important to recognize it still today. But, I, yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, we, we need to recognize it all year round. Uh, but, hey, I mean, you know, if it, if it gets uh, if it gets some white people to to stop and think for, for the month and, and, you know, watch some black entertainment and, uh, you know, learn some history, then I guess that's still a victory, right? Hey, I'll, I'll agree with you on that one, Ty. Uh, so so today's movie that we are reading between the lines of, and I don't think there's a lot to read between. It seems no, pretty no. Uh, in your face, you know. <laughs> it is. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and for the better, I'll say. I'm, I'm not opposed to it at all. But, yeah, so today's movie is One Night in Miami. This is Regina King's uh, directorial debut. Did we talk about Regina King at all before, Ty? Uh, well, yeah, because she was in uh, HBO's Watchmen. She was actually uh, the main character in that, Angela, so... Uh, we have we have discussed uh, Regina King quite a bit during those those HBO Watchmen reviews, um, and it's cool to see her kind of branch out from acting and and uh, take on directing a little bit. Yeah, and in uh, this Christmas, another movie starring Regina King and a bunch of other awesome, uh, amazing black actors. Uh, she she uh, she whips her husband with a belt for cheating on her and treating her like shit. Um, oh, so- interesting. So there you go. <laughs> on an, from an outside perspective, like, I mean, I, I understand cheating sucks and all, but that, that she she literally committed assault. Like, like, like she put baby oil in the shower on the bathroom floor as he got out of the shower. So he slipped on it multiple times, and then she whipped the <laughs> shit out of him. Oh my god! Yeah. Well, he assaulted her feelings. Selba her brother. He assaulted her feelings. That's right. So she assaulted his body. <laughs> That's right. At the end of the movie, they do like a Soul Train dance, all the actors. So, you know, it's cool. Like everyone's fine. You know, it's all good. Uh, but yeah, so so One Night in Miami um, was originally a play that was uh, was written by Kemp Powers. Right. And after being adapted and and made into to the movie we're discussing today, uh, this was this was the first film by a black female director that was selected by the Venice Film Festival. So wow. What a. Yeah, what what a what a what a showing for Regina King, uh, and and her first uh, her first movie. So I'm I'm definitely down to see her direct more. I'm down to see her act more. I just like Regina King. I like her in those car commercials. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's hard sometimes to adapt a stage play to film. They have a very uh, like specific feel to them. You know, this movie is really it's four guys, right? It's four guys in a room for the majority of it. So you can definitely you definitely feel where the stage play aspect of that kind of comes in. Um, oh yeah, you 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 feel it big time. We'll, yeah, we'll talk about that. yeah. So you know, but I think it's a testament to her, uh, you know, skills as a director already that she's able to translate that for the most part pretty successfully. Uh, to film and, and obviously, you know, getting the right actors to, to portray these roles and, you know, make it um, in- interesting an almost two hour film that keeps you invested of just guys talking. Yeah. I mean, 
keeps keeps you invested throughout most of it. Depends on who it is. We'll right, talk right, because right. we're not only are we going to discuss about the themes, which which I really enjoyed in this film, uh, but but you know I think there is also a technical and film aspect to discuss it. But you know what? Before we do that, let's throw out the spoiler warning. It's coming in the distance. Everybody can hear it right now. For yep. those of you who have not yet seen One Night in Miami, it is currently streaming on Prime Video. Uh, once again, Regina King's directorial debut. Uh, watch it. Watch it before you listen to the rest of this yeah. podcast. Uh, you, it'll, you know, the time. I was gonna say the time will fly by, but I, I can't make that guarantee. <laughs> uh, but it is. <laughs> it'll keep. But, it'll but, keep uh, you interested. It'll definitely uh, pique your curiosity about these these fellas. It certainly will, as you get entrenched in the plot, which Ty is about to give you. One Night in Miami, a fictional account of one incredible night where icons Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X. Sam Cooke and Jim Brown gathered discussing their roles in the civil rights movement and cultural upheaval of the 60s. Yeah, so so this um you know, I've had a lot of time to think about this movie since since I since I saw it. You know, I had some time to digest it. You need time to digest a film. And um and this it it really got me thinking. Like these are people who were at the height of their respective careers, maybe not necessarily at that point in the film. I don't know their specific ages, and uh, I'll speak to whatever history I do know of these individuals, but I do not consider myself a scholar on any of them. Right. So right. obviously there will be show note, uh, there will be you know sources in the show notes, but uh, you know, but I I may not be able to speak on their entire character because you know most of what i know has been seen through you know random clips and and quotes on online and and this movie well i mean two of these guys were 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 dead before we were even born uh and another one has died since so you know it's unfortunately we we only know what we've been able to read or learned in school or watch you know like you said clips on youtube or whatever it might be so you know, we know as much as we can, I guess. Uh, but you know, they—they're all like you said. They're kind of, yeah, they're kind of at the peak of their of their careers, or at least beginning to. I think you know. Uh, in, in this film, you know, we have Muhammad Ali, uh, who's still going by Cassius Clay, um, and you know, at this point, he is just you know, uh, he's he's about to fight for the world championship at 22 years old. Um, you know, we have Sam Cooke, who's who's kind of taken you know. Uh, pop music by Storm, and he's he start he just plays at the Copacabana for the first time. Uh, you know we have Malcolm X, who has been at, at the front of the you know civil rights movement and has been fighting for for you know uh, you know black people to to have their rights and to to be able to live for for some quite some time now. This is really towards the end of his career, I would say. Uh, we're getting close to his assassination at this point. Um, and then we have you know Jim Brown, who is played in the NFL and has been very, very successful. So, and he's starting a movie career. So like you said, these guys are, you know, they're, they're four black men who have all really made a name for themselves. Uh, and that, and that's kind of a big part of this film too. They, they discuss kind of how they made a name for themselves and, you know, how they use that platform, uh, you know, to get their messages across. So, Dude, well said. I love it. Thanks. I want to talk about Cassius Clay for a bit. And, um, you know, he he and Malcolm X I probably know the most about. And even then, I don't know that much about them. So uh, <laughs> Agreed, so, yeah. You know, obviously, yeah, stuff in the show notes. Check it out. But Cassius Clay, um, while, while he was fighting for the world championship at 22, which is considered to be amazing, he won a gold medal, an Olympic gold medal at 18 for boxing. That's unbelievable. Uh, which, which, 
Yeah, which later ended up at the bottom of a river when he was refused uh, admittance into into a restaurant because of the color of his skin. So, so you know, we talked about it in the in the in the Chadwick episode where even if you are a celebrity, if you are a person of color, race is a part of your story. So yeah. early on, race was a part of all these individual uh, stories, and and obviously it becomes kind of the the focal point of the film. Uh, Cassius Clay also, like you said, twenty two, uh, became became the champ. Later on, went uh, went by Muhammad Ali after he joined the Nation of Islam. Uh, he had refused to fight in Vietnam later on in his life, which uh, they stripped him of his championship, and. Um, and you know what? When I when I was writing that down, it, it got me thinking a bit about how, like, you know, Malcolm is is very much about about people using their platforms to advance the black cause yeah. as much as possible, and you know, and I guess kind of making a sacrifice while people are laying down their lives intentionally. Most time, most times, it's otherwise, uh, you know, for for the cause. And so later on in his life, he really did, you know, take that to heart. And while this is a you know, this is historical fiction. Uh, Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X were actually very close in real life, and I don't doubt that this <laughs> this this conversation came up multiple times. But uh, but for somebody who who made their way through boxing for the championship to be the most important thing in your life, and then to give it up because you refuse to go fight in Vietnam, I think that that is a huge sacrifice to make. Yeah, I mean, obviously, being a fighter is really important to him. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, knowing you're going to lose that, but standing up for your values, you know, refusing to go and kill people in another country, you know, for a country that doesn't respect you as a human being, I think is, uh, it's a powerful statement and one that I know people bring up all the time about him. Um, and I think, you know, nowadays it's, it's obviously much more favorable outlook, right? Cause I think people look at Vietnam and say that was obviously a mistake, we shouldn't have been there. That's that's pretty well recognized these days. Um, so, you know, obviously Muhammad Ali is considered more heroic for that today. But, you know, then he was ridiculed. And like you said, he was stripped of his title. So uh, it was a ballsy move on his part. Yeah, I mean, the U.S. government made Ali's life a living hell. Uh, he was, you know, they were constantly trying to put him in prison because he was, quote unquote, draft dodging. And um, <laughs> he actually ended up finally spending 10 days in prison years later. And I think it was for a traffic violation. Wow. <laughs> uh, but, you know, but they, they kept going back and forth, um, you know, while they were, I believe at one point while they were looking into his case, I might be getting this mixed up with another case. I'll admit that uh, they... <laughs> They looked into uh, Martin Luther King's um, assassination, and they found that 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 the that the FBI had been illegally tapping his phone. So when they talk about the G-men in this movie, like that is very real for right, for someone right. like Malcolm X. Um, you know, it's kind kind of kind of random, but you know, kind of not because it's part of Ali's story as well. Um, you know, but eventually all of the all of the charges were dropped, uh, you know, or accusations. There weren't really any charges. There were accusations. Uh, they were lifted. And later on in his life, you know, Bush Jr. Uh, gives him the, the, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And, um, you know, he became like a, a national hero, which is what we see now. But we never see it publicized as to how the U.S. government fucking hated Muhammad Ali. Yep. How yep. he was like he became a militant uh, member of the Nation of Islam, and and you know like he he, he was Africa's uh, Africa's hero. Like they they loved him too. Every time he went over to, to to fight there, Nelson Mandela was like his biggest fan. 
Um, I mean, so, Ma- Malcolm so X was his mentor, right? So, I mean, right off the bat, you got to know the government hated him, right? Because they're they're following Malcolm around. Yep. <laughs> they're 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 keeping tabs on him. They consider him like you know uh, almost a terrorist. And then he's he's mentoring this kid. So that probably didn't you know set the tone for him being loved by the U.S. government too too well in the beginning there. No, that he was he was definitely on the radar uh, yeah. <laughs> right away. Yeah. Um. But uh. But yeah. Old and. You know, he also ended up uh, going, uh, having a speaking series. He was going to colleges after they took his boxing career away, and uh, and he was, and he was speaking on on issues of race and and uh, and in his and his ideology. Um, so so he de- he definitely had a very storied career. He later came back to boxing, uh, but but you know that when we're talking about Cassius Clay, when we're talking about Muhammad Ali. There is a whole history of activism and sports that has been followed since then. By you know, by you know, we talk about Kaepernick, LeBron James, uh, the, you know, a, a bunch of athletes who are now also being treated like shit. You know, people are like, oh, you know, you should shut up and dribble, blah blah blah. Like, guess what, man? History doesn't change, does it? Right. Right. Like right. they did the same shit to Muhammad Ali, and you know, imagine, you know, how many years down the line are they going to be like, LeBron was a hero for civil rights, Kaepernick? Was <laughs> a fucking, you know, now Kaepernick's right, like, right. oh, you know, he's getting all these endorsements and stuff. I want to say now it's been like the past couple of years he's finally like getting some popular yeah, yeah. Uh, attention, but still. Well, it, you know that's a, that's a big argument in this film, right? That Malcolm X brings up is like using your your platform for that, and and like you said, we we've seen that you know time and time again. It doesn't change. We like you said, we've seen Colin Kaepernick use uh, or Kaepernick, sorry, uh, use his his platform. You don't to, have to swear off of it. You you said Kaepernick every time. If that's how that's you say fine. it, that's it's how fine. you say it, man. Uh, I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, he's. <laughs> He uses his platform, you know, to bring about, um, you know, attention to racial injustice. But if you if you watch a Michael Jordan documentary, for example, uh, Michael Jordan was asked to actually help, um, you know, like send money or or at least endorse. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I don't remember his name, but he he was running for uh, for office. I think in, in either South or North Carolina, he was a black man. He would have been the first one elected, and he chose not to because he didn't want to get involved in politics. So you you see this kind of this huh. debate. So that is an option. Yeah, you know, time and time again, where people choose, uh, you know, either to to use their platform, um, and they're you know they can often be ridiculed for it, or they can keep their mouth shut, uh, be, you know, and and have their career be successful because you know white people just want them to do their do their sports and do their entertainment and not bring politics into. How many times do you hear that? Right? Don't bring politics into this. So it's uh, it's an interesting debate. It's an interesting times. debate. Now, speaking of this debate, let's go on to Sam Sam Cooke. Uh, Sam Cooke was originally a gospel singer, and like you said, he took the pop world by storm at the time this movie is taking place. Uh, he, he was playing at the Copacabana. Uh, the media at the time noted how this was, like, a big deal for him because he, uh, you know, not only did he bomb the performance, but right. this was, like, his first chance to win over a white conservative audience. Yeah. I mean, the way it's portrayed in the film, at least, they really are, like, they're just not ready to even give him a chance, you know? The the manager of the Copacabana is very rude to him, uh, you know, won't let him even have, I think, what, his, like, his guitar player out on the floor with him, um, you know, and then he gets out there and the crowd is just obviously, you know, not interested. People walk up and leave, you know, and again, he does bomb the performance. He does, it's, it's not great. He doesn't wow anybody with it. Uh, but you know, I, I can only imagine the pressure, 
you know, he says, I grew up wanting to be here, right? Like this is, this is my dream to come here and perform. And you have all these people that don't have any interest in you, uh, you know, your talent or you even as a person. And now you got to perform and entertain them. It must have been a lot of pressure. Uh, I can say firsthand from doing stand-up comedy, uh, <laughs> that does not feel good. There are, yeah, he's probably yeah. had a bunch of nightmares related around that one experience. <laughs> probably. That's what happened. Probably. Yeah. Uh, I didn't, I'm going to be honest. So I didn't know anything about Sam Cooke. So this was like kind of what I thought was my first introduction to him. However, let's flash back. I'm in college. I think I want to be a teacher at this time. I'm putting together a unit plan, and it's about uh, resistance songs. It's about like protest songs to, you know, for for students to learn how to, you know, how entertainment is fueled by. Wow, now all the pieces are really coming together now. <laughs> uh, but, but for children to learn how entertainment is fueled by the social conditions under which it's created. So um, one of those songs was. A change is gonna come by Sam Cooke, and as soon as he started singing it, I was like, "That is Sam Cooke." I had no idea, but that's funny, um, you know. But this, yeah, this whole movie is more or less about um, about well, not the whole movie, but a big part of this movie is about how Sam Cooke does end up writing a change is gonna come. Uh, it's it's not that way in real life. There was another individual, and you'll see it when you check the show notes, uh, who who brought attention to the Bob Dylan song, um, right. Well, he according in the movie he says he already started writing it. He just hadn't performed it yet. Oh, so I guess that was Power's way of kind of putting that into the story. Yeah, I think I think the way this like movie plays why out, he was writing it. Right, yeah. Malcolm okay. Malcolm X talking to him is kind of the inspiration to finally perform it in public. I think, or maybe even Jim Brown, because they have that conversation, you know, where he he asks about the song. But yeah, I, I think you know the movie does say that he had already started writing it. Now, what do you know about Jim Brown, the football player? Right. So, uh, you know, I didn't know a whole lot about him before. that. I heard the name before. I knew he was a football player. That was about the extent of my knowledge. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he, he was obviously, you know, he breaking barriers by, by being in the NFL. He was uh, – some considered him the greatest football player in the world at the time. Um, and, you know, racism was very, very much still alive. But, you know, I, one thing I've learned about white people – uh, from from my own family, even personal experiences, they, they love a black athlete when they don't say anything about their situation and they just play sports. But like they really love a black athlete, and it and that's kind of interesting oh, yeah. to me. It's amazing, yeah. like just how like you know they they can say the most racist things, but then they'll put on the football game and be cheering for some you know for a black player. It's re- it's really it, it's it's kind of like wow, you know <laughs> that they they don't even realize this, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we have well, this. Uh, let me go back. Sorry, uh, let, let me go. You know, go back to Sam Cooke for just a second. At the time, we're talking about, you know, he wasn't the only black musician who no, was no. rocking the world and and topping the charts. So at the time, you know, we see that at the time and now that white people absolutely love what black people create, the way they entertain them, the way they make them feel. They don't want black people to have any agency, but they love being entertained by them. Yeah. I mean, Malcolm X actually brings that up later on, you know, um, and I'll talk about it later. Oh, he says something a little more. 
Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. But, but I had an interesting uh, conversation with my girlfriend about it, so I'd like to bring that up as well. But, uh, you know, so the movie opens for Jim Brown where uh, he's visiting this, this white man. I guess it's like a plantation home or something, right? And, like, uh, they, they, they go out in the porch. Oh, yeah. And his, I, I guess the white guy's granddaughter is, like, so, like, oh, my God, it's Jim Brown. You know, like, you're you're amazing. You're, like, you're this amazing football player. And she's so, like, starstruck. And she gets a grandfather. And he comes out and sits on the porch. And they, they have some, uh, you know, they're drinking. And, and uh, I think they have, like, tea or something. They haven't. Sweet tea, maybe. They have a nice rapport, the two of them, too. Yeah, probably. yeah. I they think have a nice rapport, he, like he mentorship. Even, and, yeah, yeah, the white guy even mentions how their families have looked out for each other since they first came to Quote, this unquote. Land, right? <laughs> he's like, you know, we, we, we got to help each other out. And he's like, you know, you're doing an amazing job. He, call, he even says to Jim Brown that he's like a hero, right? Like he's a testament to the state of Georgia. You know, he's he's just such an amazing figure and he's so proud of him. And he really does Build him up so much. I know. It, that, it, that's what makes this payoff so well. Yeah, and it's like you're like you're like, oh wow, this is so nice. You know, they're getting along great. They're having this really nice conversation. Then the granddaughter reminds her grandfather that he he uh, she needs help moving a piece of furniture. He's like, oh right, I forgot. You know, and he gets up, and Jim Brown's like, oh let me help you out with that. You got to move a piece of furniture. Let me help you. And uh, he, the the white guy turns around and goes, you know, we don't allow n words in the house. And he's like, keep up the good work. And he says it with the hard on. <clears throat> he does, which I'm not going to do. But yeah, he's, you know, he says that and it, and it just kind of like, it shocked me. You know, and imagine being a person of color in that situation. Yeah, like how do you even, you know, like, I guess, like the dude felt so comfortable to say that because it was just casual. He wasn't, he wasn't, he didn't say it with any malice behind his voice. Like, oh, we just, you know, we don't allow blanks in the house. Yep. And, th- and that was it. And he was like, anyway, keep up the good work. Like, it was just a matter of fact, right? It was a way right? of life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's just like, how can, how can you be so nonchalant about it? And he walks away, right? Doesn't feel like he hurt his feelings. He's just like, whatever. And even like, I think he even like pats him on the chest, like, you know, keep up the good work. And then he walks away. And, and I think that's when you kind of, you realize that like, no matter how great, you know, you might be or, or how talented you might be, you're only as good as what entertainment or, or what you can provide for the, for these people, you know, for a person like that, they don't, they don't view him as as an equal, you know. They just want to see him play his football, and and that's it. You know, he's not even allowed in into the house, uh, and and the anger you see on on Brown's faces, <clears throat> it's pretty uh, it's pretty horrible, you know. And, and listen, Jim Brown is not um, he he does not have a perfect history. I was doing a little research on him, um, and he had a, a sordid history of uh, of. Criminal accusations. Um, he was accused of rape. Well, criminal accusations? Are, okay, yeah, like sexual assault allegations. Because um, every black man has criminal accusations against him, but these are <laughs> these are more than that. Yeah, he was accused of rape. Uh, he was accused of domestic abuse. Um, he apparently choked and beat his golf partner. Uh, he um, just, he attacked Well, what cop. was he shooting, goddammit? Were they under par or? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> sometimes you gotta, sometimes you gotta beat and choke your your golf partner. That's right. right. You know he uh, he he damaged his uh, his second or third wife's car. Um, you know he like he had I think like seven or eight you know allegations throughout the years from like the seventies all the way to nineteen ninety nine. Uh, in which case he got off on almost every single one of them. Uh, I know his first wife, he wound up having to pay alimony and child support. No, nothing big there, but any other charges were dropped. He, uh, they think the only thing he actually, 
he served, I think, a, like one day in prison or something for for choking his partner, and then he got like community service for uh, attacking his his uh, wife's car and stuff. So he did, he didn't wind wow. up. Uh, That's, uh, yeah, he didn't he didn't get he didn't get the book. Than Muhammad Ali. Yeah, but you know he again he was acquitted of a lot of that, and he had an autobiography come out where he you know apparently explained a lot of that. But you know obviously. Uh, without being there, you don't know what happened. What but you don't understand is that I was mad at my wife, so I hit her. Yeah, well, he 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 claims like apparently he was accused of like assaulting his his girlfriend or something, and he's like, yeah, she made that up, which led to the uh, <laughs> how did he put? He was like, which led to the uh, uh, the mistake with the police where he assaulted a cop. So it was like, uh, all right, you know. But uh, I thought you said that in there. So the only the only thing he's done. That I wouldn't condemn him for. Yeah. (laughs) Probably, right? Back then. um, You know, but celebrity is very powerful. Like, that's what I was talking about. Like, the fact that a black man could assault a cop and get away with it. The fact that he could have all these allegations against him and, you know, quote unquote, get away with it. um, You know, that, like, celebrity and class still speak volumes, even if you are a person of color. Like, even if things are already against you, money... Money speaks. Money talk. Oh, oh, they have a saying that says "money talks." Actually, so I'll, I'll use that one. There you go. And last but not least, certainly not least by any stretch of the imagination, we have Malcolm X. And um, and I, I will say that with Jim Brown specifically, but all of these actors, I really think they brought it home and 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 did a great job. Like I really think like they are the way into this film. They are the reason you go see this film is to see how these actors uh, portray these characters. Yeah, and I, I think um like the again, the film was a play, right? So it's it's very dialogue heavy. It's very performance based. Um, and I think off mic we talk a little bit about it. like there's there's times where it's a little over the top, I think. But I, I do think part of that is just the dialogue, you know. It, it, uh, but for the most part, like, you get some really powerful performances from these guys. Um, and Malcolm X, in particular, I think, gets some really, really heavy dialogue, some really, uh, you know, difficult monologues that he has to deliver. So, you know, it, it's it's a heavy, heavy task. But I think for the most part, you know, they, they all kind of are up for it, for the challenge. And you have four really, really talented actors here. Yeah, um, Malcolm X uh, in this in this film is definitely charged with like carrying everything, and he um, yeah. Without him, you don't really have a story, right? Like he's kind of pushing exactly the momentum here. He's like the one connecting everyone. Yep. Um, now, in real life, though, a lot of these individuals ran in the same circles. Like right. Muhammad and, and Malcolm were close, obviously. Um, you know, Jim and, and Muhammad Ali were in the same circles. I don't believe they were that close, though. But it just happened to be that they were both, you know, great athletes, great ba- black athletes. And um, you know, uh, Sam Cooke, I believe, I believe he was, um, he was, he was close with. I think he he at least knew X. Right. Uh, but the the. The whole conflict between him was was put in by Kent Powers, and that that came about from his struggle as being the only black writer on Star Trek Discovery. Oh. So that that conflict between Sam and Malcolm is actually his own internal conflict. Hmm. Like, how much of of yourself do you insert into the show? You know, do you do you try and keep it real like Malcolm did, or do you try and sell and and beat them at their own game like Sam Cooke was doing? Um, 
But uh, yeah, Malcolm is charged with pissing off every character in this movie, <laughs> sometimes even himself. Um, well, he, you know, for those of you who don't know, you really, you really better know. But like Ty said, Malcolm X is at the forefront of the civil rights movement. He was known as as the more uh, as the more militant of the civil rights leaders. Uh, he, you know, he had uh, a speech called "Ballad or the Bullet." He was able to disperse thousands of Nation of Islam members uh, with just a gesture of his hand when they were fighting to free one of their brethren who had been brutalized by the police. Right, right. Like he he became that that powerful of a, of a leader, and he and he was a powerful man, a powerful orator. Um, uh, you know, really really committed to to his ideologies, and that's as far as I. Like as far as I know him, I uh, you know I didn't see the stuff that came before that. I have to right, watch right. Uh, the Denzel Washington movie still. There you go. Uh, where he goes to you know he goes to prison and finds Islam and everything. But yeah, I mean he's a devoted um, you know, think- you know mo- like Muslim and and he uh, you know he's in the nation of Islam. But you know the the film is picking up at a point where he actually is uh, going to leave the nation of Islam, uh, which was incredibly bold in and of itself because once you're in it, you're in it for life. And he disagrees with the leadership there and decides to start his own, like, sect of that. Did you do any research on Elijah Muhammad? I didn't do much on him, no. Unfortunately, I didn't. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Because um, in the video I was watching about... Now, I didn't do much research either. <laughs> but in the video I was watching about Muhammad Ali, they did mention that, like, one of his big costs... Uh, which is why he needed money. Like he ended up selling his name to a burger chain that gave him stock in nine hundred thousand dollars for calling themselves Champ Burger. Um, but uh, but at one point they said that he had given a lot of money to the Nation of Islam. So I'm putting that together. I'm putting it together that in this movie they're alluding to Elijah Muhammad pulling some R. Kelly shit, pulling some cult leader shit. Um, you know, we see that they have they have like very intense security here. They have a lot of rules. The FBI is well, the FBI follows everybody. It doesn't yeah. matter. Um, but you know, Malcolm X, his home is taken care of, his car is taken care of, his hotels are taken care of, everything taken care of uh, by the Nation of Islam. Because as Jim points out at one point in the movie, X doesn't actually have a job. Like, he yeah. is there being, you know, being but, the mouthpiece of the Nation of Islam. The, the way it felt to me was he wasn't so, like, they, yes, they're protecting him, but they're also keeping him prisoner, right? Like, they're keeping tabs on everything keeping he does. Keeping watch over him. He never yeah. has a moment to himself. There's someone at the door. Someone follows him to the phone booth to call his family. Like, he is, you know, and he clearly is is kind of, he's I think, suspicious. Bo- yeah, he's bothered by this. He even yeah. says to, to, to the others at one point, you know, I don't get to pick him, the people that are that are with him. So, you know, he, he he's assigned these people that are going to watch over him and yeah, you know, it felt very much like he was being kept prisoner. Yeah, even later when one of the security is talking to Jim and Muhammad about his uh, his transition, uh, his co- uh, converting to Islam, you know, he, he says like, oh, well, I wish I would have done it earlier, blah, blah, blah. You know, we could have stopped this one kid who was whooping my ass uh, at school right. and everything. And then Jim's like, he's like, well, then why don't you join a gang? Yeah, he's like, you don't have to join them. Yeah, he's like, what's the difference? Like, uh, and so that I got strong Scientology vibes. I can't speak as to anything involving the Nation of Islam. I know Islam as a religion. Right. I right. studied some of it in college. Uh, but as far as the, the that specific group, I mean, my uh, understanding I, I, I really is they're they're kind of extremist, you know, and uh, they they kind of you know they use violent, violence, I guess, when they need to, you know. And I think uh, a lot of people do know that towards the end of his life, right, you know. Uh, before, right around when he left the Nation of Islam, uh, Malcolm X, you know, made the pilgrimage to Mecca, um, and 
you know, that that changed his viewpoint on a lot of things. And I was actually, you know, talking to my girlfriend about it. she actually knows a lot about, um, you know, her, her best friend is, uh, is, is Muslim and she knows a lot about the religion. And uh, she was telling me a little bit about like the pilgrimage and um, it's, I think it's called Hajj. And basically Muslims from all over the world go there and everyone has to wear the exact same clothing, right? So everyone uh, is wearing the same outfit and you don't know who's rich and who's poor. You have people of all different colors and backgrounds basically coming here to make this pilgrimage and do the same thing. And it's very like, I guess, unifying, you know, it makes you kind of really feel close to each other and it really separates those those uh, those boundaries that we normally have, you know, of of, of color and race and all that. Um, so I, I think that was that was very eye opening for him too, Malcolm X, towards the end of his life. Because for you know, I have an article here too that uh, we could put in the show notes, but basically discusses how you know Malcolm X and, and Martin Luther King Jr. were were worlds apart in their ideologies, and they only very briefly met in their their lives. They were not really associated with each other, but. When Malcolm died, except by everybody else, still. Yeah, yeah, when Malcolm died and when Martin Luther King died, their ideologies were almost the same because Malcolm started to slide the other direction and Martin Luther King started sliding towards that direction. So they wound up meeting kind of in the middle, uh, and I think that's kind of an interesting thing to to remember, you know. And and Malcolm X gets a gets a lot of hate for being this you know this violent person, but he he wasn't necessarily you know. Uh, talking about you know murdering and, and killing people, he was he was just talking about defending uh, you know himself and, and, and black people defending, defending themselves. Black people. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I think he he started to see things in a different way, you know, and uh, how we could come together. And I think you know realizing if if white people and black people weren't pitted against each other, we might be able to rise up and kind of beat the people that profit off that, right? And, and, you know, it seems that whenever somebody tries to unite people, that's when they die, right? It's always when they when they try to yep. unite people. Because I think they they want somebody there as a, uh, as a form of conflict, right? It's probably in the best interest of the U.S. government to have someone like Malcolm yeah, X. You need controlled opposition. Right, you know, yep. Think, you keep people fighting. You know, and I, and I think that, like, the... Malcolm Malcolm and MLK worked very well because there were two brands of civil rights and you had to accept one or shit was going to get bad. So like they went for the lesser of two evils right, in MLK right. and even then still, you know, like fucking wiretapped the guy and assassinated him, tried to get him to kill himself. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, so so it does it does behoove them as it still does for the class war right yep. you know we we should all be rising up against the 1% but because you know i'm red and you're blue i'm right you're left well you know like we are always at at each other's throats yep. which is great for the powers that be and this is what happened to fred hampton too you know it's just it, you see it every time like i said i was getting some pretty strong scientology vibes and uh and i think when you do talk about individuals being quote unquote uh, extremists, depending on who you're asking, because, you know, when we were discussing Rogue One, we talked about uh, extremists. But uh, but yeah, I think, you know, once Malcolm kind of got out on his own, a, a lot of that militancy might have been left behind. You know, when when Muhammad was speaking on sorry, Muhammad Ali uh, was speaking on behalf of, uh, you know, of Nation of Islam, you know, he's talking he's coming out against against race mixing and stuff like that, which I want to talk about mixed marriages real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Because because it does seem extreme from a certain standpoint, right? It seems extreme to say Muhammad Ali is against white people and black people being together. He is against 
uh, integration. He's pro segregation. That is technically racist. Right. And I thought about it. As I, you know, as this past year has had a lot of introspection, especially if you've listened to the podcast, you know, as I learned more about my own heritage and uh, and the, you know, the Tainos of Española and how, you know, it wasn't just the Europe, you know, the Spaniards who came and, and made them whiter. It was also, you know, their own leaders who were put in place later on, like they specifically wanted the Dominican Republic to be as white as possible. And then comes my father, you know, later down the line. Now he he was actually the next step. It was Columbus. Um, they became the, <laughs> Spaniel became the Dominican Republic. That my father was born right after. But um, but my you know my father who is noticeably like he was pretty light when he was younger, but still he's noticeably a darker man. He he um ended up with a white woman and made me. And so now I'm thinking about it. You know, like I really don't have a lot. Uh, of at least physical attributes that that still go back to my heritage. If I get a tan in the summer, you can see if you know you see my hair uh, grow out, you can tell, or if you see me dance. But that's about it. Right, right. And like I'm thinking, like I've married a white woman. So if we do have kids, I'm inadvertently contributing to that colonization of my ancestors. Right, because now your kids I'm are going to have even less of those traits, right? Yeah, I'm whitening my own children, and like. I, I don't know. It's, you know, obviously, I love my kids regardless, but and I love my wife regardless. You know, yeah, I mean, she's one of the good white. You're gonna have to but, break up with your wife, man. That's all. You're just gonna have to leave her. <laughs> anyway, it just got me thinking. I don't necessarily have a, a pro or an anti stance, but I was like, huh? Like, I mean, it, he he definitely has a point, you know. And I, whether it's right or wrong, it's it's uh, it, it's it gets you thinking, right? And and I think that's been a huge problem for especially here, you know, in the United States, of people losing their their heritage. Uh, you know, to to white people, you know, and it, it's it's happened for hundreds of years, and and you know, it, it definitely uh, I could see why that would upset somebody. You know, it's it's hard to, to hold on to those roots if you keep you know kind of diluting it uh, more and more. Now, when you're talking about uh, some an ideology that might not be right or wrong, but sparks discussion, let's talk about uh, the crux of this film is when they get into it. All four of them kind of have their own way of of advancing the black struggle or helping the black struggle. Um, they don't all necessarily see the other. Mostly it's Malcolm being mad at everybody for not doing exactly what he's doing. And we've discussed that a lot, too, on and off the podcast, you and I. What yeah. brand of activism is, quote unquote, correct or, quote unquote, most effective? Like... You know, this this movie and our conversations have shown that there isn't necessarily one definite brand. You know, we right. have we have Sam Cooke, who I loved his example because he's talking about how like, yeah, like, you know, there are, you know, I, I'm, I'm entertaining white folks and and not and singing pop music and not singing about the black struggle. But also I'm selling songs that are going to get covered by white people and the white dollar is coming back to me. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, he's. You know, go back to the Yellowstone episode, right? He's beating them at their own game. He's doing some rainwater shit. Like, learn their game and beat them at it. And, and Jim exactly. Brown isn't too far off. No, he's not. And, and you know, Malcolm even says to to uh, to Cook, he's like, you know, you, you think you're you're being corrupted like where you're living, and he's like, you can't even you can't even go into Beverly Hills. And you know, Cook's like, we have our own black Beverly Hills, and we have the better view. You know, like he always he always seems to find the the silver lining in how. Black people are able to actually come out on top, right? By by kind of using white people's own, you know, uh, prejudice against them, and and you know, Malcolm obviously doesn't see it that way at all. Uh, and I, I know you mentioned, you know, this movie. A lot of it's about Malcolm kind of coming at everybody, but I think it's important to note, you know, this was as he's getting ready to leave the Nation of Islam, 
Uh, he knows uh, Hoover's people have been following him, right? He even says at one point, his lackeys have been following me around so long, they know where I'm going to be before I do. So he's very on edge. You know, he, he has a feeling that he's going to be killed soon. Um, he sees people following And he following. needs celebrity support, too. He does. And he's, he's, gonna, he, he's even he got an autobiography in the, the works. Same. You know, he, yeah. ne- he never trusts yeah. a journalist before, but he's, wor- you know, he knows that his time is almost up. Um, and so I think he's on edge and he's, he knows that he doesn't have a lot of time to push these guys forward and to get this movement where it needs to be. So, you know, he comes out a little extreme maybe and a little angry at his friends, but you know, when you really break it down, you realize, you know, what, what his struggle has been and where, you know, where he's going to end up in, in a very short amount of time in about a year or so he's going to die. You know, you understand why he's, he's so, uh, you know, heavy on pushing this forward. Yeah, I mean, he died at 39 years old. Yep. Uh, Sam Cooke died at 33 after being shot in a motel incident. Ali uh, died at 74 from respiratory issues following Parkinson's and spinal stenosis. And Jim Brown is actually still alive. And it he turns is. Out he was in a yeah. bunch of films. Yeah, he he really started the movie career. But yeah, so but a lot of these a lot of these guys died young, and you know they were did. killed young, not just died young. They were, yeah, I mean, you know, Cook Cook was was murdered in what uh, 19. Uh, 64 i think you know he was like i said 33 years old at the height of his career and it was horrible and and you know his his death i don't know if you looked into it at all but you know it, it's uh it was a weird situation you know he was accused of of um trying to rape a woman uh but at the same time the story didn't add up and it seemed like he had actually been robbed and it was all planned by his manager to kill him and get the rights to his work so you know we don't know really what happened there but huh. you know it's uh it you know, unfortunately, his death is, you know, a very sad and, and misunderstood situation. So, you know, it, it's... If history tells us anything, it's that you can definitely accuse a black man of rape and <laughs> have few yeah. questions asked, uh, you know. Another thing Cook said that I thought was really cool, too, is he said, uh, you know, every living thing has a soul and has a soul that can be tapped into. And then Malcolm asked Cook if he's wasting time tapping into white people's uh, souls. And, uh, you know, not not helping the cause. And, you know, Cook brings up the fact that he's helping other black artists. Right. He's like, you know, uh, he's inspiring, you know, black kids to show them you can be successful and you can make money. And, you know, he's he's doing his own part in the cause. And he's all. Yeah. He's also mentoring independent artists. Right. Too. Yep. So like through through his through his own label. So. You know, like he he's doing and and Jim Brown, uh, you know, kind of backs him up here. And he says, like, he says, like, financial freedom is what true freedom is. Yes. And, you know, Cook giving himself and other black people financial freedom is advancing the cause in, you know, in his own way. I think, you know, I think Malcolm, you know, he I'm not saying it verbatim, but he calls him out on saying, like, um, you know, you're going to, you know, be happy with the scraps and everything. And like. You know, he basically says that once you get out, you like you live with the fact that you have forsaken your own people. Yes. Yes. Knowing that you're going to give them scraps once once you make it. And um, I mean, that's an interesting accusation. uh, It is. Because I'm sure some people definitely do. You know, you have your you know, you have your little Wayne's. Right, <laughs> supporting Trump and stuff like that. Uh. Well, you know, like Malcolm accuses Cook of perverting gospel music for white folks. Right, that's one of the things he says. And then he says you, that you're a dancing monkey for white people. He said you just go out there, you perform your little song and dance for them, make them happy, and that's it. And you never bring up the struggle. And this this actually sparked a conversation with my girlfriend. 
Um, she was very much uh, supporting of Malcolm X <laughs> during this conversation. You know, and she brought up the fact that, like, uh, during the halftime show, uh, I believe it was either last year or the year before, Shakira and J-Lo were there, right? And uh, it was a big deal, right? It was like, Damn oh, right they, were. they had two Hispanic, you know, artists there, and they kind of had, like, the kids in cages thing kind of going on in the background. Um, but she brought up the fact oh, that... Oh, yeah, they kind of did. This was during like kind of you know black lives matter right and 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 colin kaepernick had had been you know fighting uh racial injustice in the nfl and had been blacklisted and lost his career basically um so what they had asked a lot of black artists to perform during the halftime show and they said no but shakira and j-lo said yes and she said my girlfriend said you know it's fine if they want to perform there but why didn't they show any kind of solidarity? They didn't have a, a Colin Kaepernick jersey. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't take a knee during. You know, they they went out there and they performed and they entertained all the white football folks. And you know that that kind of goes into like the Sam Cook argument. You know, is like, what are you going to use your platform to get the message out there? Um, and I thought I thought that was kind of interesting. No, I mean, I it, it is, and you, I mean, we're talking about the same woman who would later go on to sing at Biden's inauguration. Um, you know, I, I think. Oh, did she really? For the two of them, J Lo. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. That's hilarious. Oh yeah. She, oh yeah, man. She sang at Biden's inauguration, and then in the middle of singing, I, was it the national anthem or was it America the Beautiful? It was one of those. She goes, "Let's get loud." Oh God! Which was hilarious, but also like. You know, uh, no, that's a uh, that's a good point, and that their halftime show pissed off people anyway. It did, so it did, they might smart. as well have you know made a statement right. and then continued to piss people off for different reasons. You're like they spoke Spanish. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh god. <laughs> yeah. Well, also it was just oh, it was too sexy. It was way too sexy. You know, blah blah blah. Yeah. I, I remember, um, you know, somebody who I worked four kind of was like oh they're telling all the little girls the only way they have meaning is if they or value is that they get up on screen and shake their asses like they didn't say that in any any of the songs if you got that like if you'd feel less value because of them feeling more like i don't i don't know like yeah you know, i, per, I you agree know. like it's just like i mean if that's what you're getting out of this then you know yeah i guess you're not yeah, looking but, at the um, whole thing but, but so 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 your girlfriend was more on the on the side of Malcolm that if you do have a platform if you are creating you are with great power comes great responsibility basically. Yeah, I mean she feels like that white people like again love a black person who goes out there and entertains them and keeps her mouth shut and she feels like we you know you do become a dancing monkey for them. And it, you know it it's it's your kind of your responsibility for you and everyone like you to not just do whatever a white person wants and go out there and speak your truth and speak your mind and, you know, use that platform to deliver the message that you want, um, you know, to help each other and help the cause. And I love how she always brings up good points on the show, despite never being on the show. <laughs> That's probably. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, point. like I always watch, uh, I, I watch a lot of the projects that we're reviewing like with her and, like kind of pick her brain and you know as 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 a person of color i kind of get like her perspective sometimes and definitely definitely helps ground me and open my eyes up to things that i normally wouldn't notice or think about yeah and same here because while you know i i you know i've talked a lot about my ethnicity and my mixed ethnicity and uh kind of my own um racial dysphoria on this podcast multiple times 
Uh, but, you know, that I also do approach a lot of this world from a white lens. So right, I do right. I do also have to take those moments and step back and uh, and take a look at those things. But um, but Ty, I know that only a second or two has passed, but I I feel whereas at the beginning of this podcast, I was like, you know, I know Malcolm X kind of I feel as if over three hours worth of a movie based on his autobiography has certainly been, has just been downloaded into my head, much like in the <laughs> matrix within a couple seconds. Amazing. I feel like there's, yeah. There's been a little bit of research regarding the nation of Islam and Elijah Muhammad. <laughs> it's, it's like we recorded this in two separate parts or something. That That's incredible. Almost as if we did have to take a break and come back to it at a later date. I, I can't tell you for sure, but what I, uh, <laughs> what I can tell you is uh, also there is a docu series called who killed Malcolm X. So yes, as as Ty said earlier, correcting me, it was the Nation of Islam. Uh, in uh, Spike Lee's Malcolm X movie, he does posit that the CIA was also uh, helping, and I'm sure there's other stuff. Oh to yeah, I, that, I but, wouldn't doubt that for yeah. a second. I mean, they they clearly wanted him dead and out of the picture for a while at that point i'd say yeah and i did mention earlier like oh we don't want to say anything bad about the nation of islam and stuff or you know or or specifically elijah muhammad because when it does come to 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 communities of color i do try to be a little more careful about the accusations i throw at them of course uh but uh Malcolm X specifically did himself. So, uh, and, and Elijah <laughs> Muhammad said that he did that My shit. Man. So fuck him. And that's yep. what led to their break. And that's the point we see Malcolm X at in this movie, um, which we have been talking about consistently and continuously with absolutely no breaks in between. <laughs> I mean, and, and think about that though. Like, think about the mental strain that it has to have on him, right? Because he's already he's already fighting against the American government and, you know, in a way white people as a whole, right. For, for the, the freedom and equality of his people, right. Of black people. And he's, he's joined the nation of Islam and he's found, you know, solidarity there and it's given him, you know, purpose in life. And then to find, you know, to find yourself at odds with the leader and to the point where you're deciding to break off and you know that they might try to kill you because it's a, you know, it's a lifetime commitment. You know, it's obviously, gonna put a lot of pressure on you right and i think that's that's why he's so easily agitated in this film and i think that's understandable you know if you really think about all the different factors that are playing in here yeah i think that kemp powers really uh took took into account what was going on this year in malcolm's life and and really put that into the character and um and it, it does make you think like if he did have the chance to meet up with all these people at the same time would he be this way? And and I really do think so because at this time in his life, he's he's feeling he's feeling excluded from the nation of Islam, and he's and he he's a very lonely lonely man. He has excluded all other so-called Negro leaders at the time, uh, and and cut them off. He has he has uh, cut off all you know all white people or even even the few white people who want to help him. And so, so to be in a room with people who actually do have pull and who actually uh, do have platforms and actually know the black struggle, would you not try and quote unquote convert them at every at every step of the way? Quote by, to quote X himself by any means necessary, and that's yeah. that's what we see him doing in this film. Yeah, I mean, there's a moment I really enjoyed where uh, you know we I think we brought it up that. Um, this did actually happen to Cook. You know, he heard Bob Dylan's blowing in the wind, but in this one, you know, in this film, Malcolm actually plays it for him. And he says, uh, Malcolm X says, I, I just love those lyrics. 
especially in the beginning. How many roads must a man walk down before he can call him a man? It's as though he's asking how much do the oppressed have to do before they can be recognized as human beings? You know, and then he goes on to talk about how Dylan wrote that song with nothing to gain, right? Like he, he's a white guy. He, he, it doesn't, doesn't gain him anything, but he speaks more of the black struggle uh, than any song Cook has ever penned in his life. And, you know, um, he says, he mentions that if being vocal is bad for business, why is Dylan's song gone higher on the pop charts than anything Cook has ever put out? And I thought that was a really powerful moment. You know, he's, he's saying, uh, you know, this white guy put out a song that speaks to our struggle. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's such a vocal song for the oppressed and it's doing so well, right? Like people love it. You know, why won't you try and put something out there? That that's you know that speaks to that struggle too, and you know instead of putting out the the fun poppy songs that you've been playing, and Cook in this film is played by Leslie Odom Jr. Do you remember what you've seen him in before? I don't. He played Aaron Burr, sir, in uh, Hamilton. Oh right, yes, I did know he was in Hamilton, but honestly, I watched so little of it that I. I didn't <laughs> oh, I, oh, I thought you watched the whole thing. No, I watched uh, like a half hour of it, and then I. Oh I really? Just no, got I, so I went. Bored. I went through the through the whole thing, but it's interesting because I'm sorry. Did you just whisper to your cat, or did I hear a fucking voice in my ear? <laughs> you just heard a voice in your ear, man. Tell me you listened to your cat. I swear. Tell me you whispered to it. I mean, she not... whispers to me. You fucking asshole! You went. You went. Get down! Right? You said. I did. Yeah, I really did. She's on my lap right now, purring. I haven't said anything to her. You didn't. Oh boy! Oh Jesus. boy! Oh boy! It's the oh ghost. Boy. It's the ghost. I've been watching a lot of ghosts. Okay. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep this in here, guys. That's, that's uh, hilarious. So we can document my descent into insanity. <laughs> yeah. The, the brilliant mind, Michael Carbuccia. He was, you know. No, imagine if there's actually a, a ghost, but nobody believes you, and you, you, we all think you're going insane, oh. <laughs> and the ghost is just fucking with you the whole time. Oh That'd my be god. Great. Maybe it's Bran coming back in time. Dee is not a fan of this talk, so I'll stop because right. she knows it's actually possible. Oh, <laughs> um, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> but, uh, hey, dude, brilliant minds, fun people. They're fucking nuts. Yeah. I'm not ableist. But, yeah, so so he, I find it interesting that he played a character who was, uh, his indifference was exaggerated so much in Hamilton. Like, that was a big thing. You know, he said, talk less, smile more, never let them know what you're against or what you're for. And here we have Sam Cooke, who, at the beginning, it seems like he's doing this, you know, that similar thing. He's fitting in with all the white people, and he's, uh, you know, he's just kind of keeping to himself and trying to make it in this world. Uh, but, you know, but he does, he does make his, make his message known, uh, you know, by the end of this film, when of course the change is going to come, uh, premieres. Yeah, which is you know awesome. It's amazing. You know, he's, like I said, he, I think I mentioned earlier that he he does say that he's been already been working on that, right? Like he, it's not something that he decides to right now. It's just something that I think he finally gets the courage to perform. You know, and and I think that's what Malcolm's trying to accomplish here. He's trying to you know to motivate them and inspire them to to use their platforms because I think in a way, you know, Malcolm realizes that out of the four of them, right. I think even uh, Jim Brown says to him, like, you know, you don't have a job, you know, Malcolm X doesn't have a job. All he does is, <laughs> he does say that, right. Yeah. You know, like he, he just goes around, you know, giving speeches and trying to motivate people, inspire them. But you have three guys here who are incredibly talented, who have giant platforms who can probably do things that Malcolm will never be able to do. And I think he realizes if they, you know, put as much effort into the struggle, into the fight as he does, you know, what could they accomplish? 
they've already won so many people over, you know, they have people's attention. And I think that's, um, that, you know, that's, that's kind of where he's going with this. And, and, uh, my, my favorite scene, I, I know I told you this off camera, um, is, is here where Malcolm X Do we record says, video or? I know, right? I mean, uh, no, you technically did. We weren't being recorded. So you're right. You did tell it to me off camera. I think we do. I think, yeah, that's true. So, you but know, yeah. Malcolm X is, he's talking to, to the others because Cook storms out, right? He's so angry and, you know, uh, Muhammad Ali and, uh, or, or Cassius Clay at the time. And, uh, and, um, Jim Brown are, you know, are both kind of like, oh, why'd you have to push him so much? You know, and he said, you know, like you're his friend and he says, well, I am his friend and that's why I'm trying to give him a wake up call. There's no more room for anyone. Not you, not me, not Jimmy, not Sam, no one to be standing on the fence anymore. Our people are literally dying in the streets every day. Black people are dying every day. And a line has got to be drawn in the sand, Jimmy. A line that says either you stand on this side with us or you stand over on that side against us, Cash. And I believe in that brother's potential too much to let him stand over on the other side. And I, I, I mean, that was my favorite scene in the movie. I thought it was... Uh, very you know, powerful. Yeah, yeah, very powerful stuff. Um, and I, I think it just really, you know... Uh, captures what malcolm's trying to say you know he, he just believe he believes in cook that's why he's pushing him right he's being such a dick to him because he he understands his talent and his potential and what he could accomplish you know and i think that's what you know malcolm x saw in people he, he wanted to push you know black people to to rise to the occasion and you know live up to their full potential and you know he just cares so much because again black people are dying just like today right you know, we had Black Lives Matter. Uh, you know, we were protesting in the streets uh, last year because to this day, black people are still dying in the streets every single day. And and it just it has to end at some point. You know, how do you end it? And, and I think, you know, the, the white savior thing is not the answer. Black people have to have to kind of take back the power of themselves a bit. And I, and I think that's what Malcolm was trying to do. I do think that looking at the whole of Malcolm's uh, Malcolm's life, which we will be doing next week possibly or <laughs> i mean that's up to you i won't go into it much here because we will be doing it next week uh we will be covering spike lee's malcolm x <laughs> uh and i'll mention the whole schedule of this month's uh movies just that way you uh, if you do want to watch them in advance all of you listeners will be able to do that so so don't worry about it yeah, that's um great. but 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 to keep it as short as possible uh malcolm did come from uh, the trap of white America from trying yeah. to be a white man and fit in this world to getting caught in drugs and crime and and other substance abuse issues and ended up being in prison. And that's where he was found. He was, um, you know, he was like the, you know, the Mustang that has to be broken to reach his potential. That's where he was saved, where he learned about Islam and where where he learned to accept himself and love love the black version of himself. And and he became one of one of the, the most iconic iconic men in history one of the most iconic people to ever walk the planet and i mean uh, you know i'll put put this way but when he went on his pilgrimage to mecca he had to he had to stand before them and 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 say what his tenets of islam were this is after he he broke with the nation of islam so he had to he very much create his own identity again um you know which in this movie he's in the midst of and and be declared like an actual Muslim who's who's worthy of pilgrimage. Like like he 
you know, wow. he realized his own potential and is so frustrated with with these other people who have so much potential and he sees them losing themselves to substances also. Like he doesn't like when when Muhammad is drinking and yeah, yeah. Um, Muhammad Ali uh, you know, when you know, Cassius <laughs> to be specific. Is, yeah, uh, when Cassius is drinking and stuff and uh, you know Jim has to tell me he's like, Let it go, let it go. You know, oh by the way, did you know that Jim Brown and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and a couple of other black athletes were actually called to, um, I want to say intimidate, but it was more like convince Muhammad Ali to to join the draft and go to Vietnam, and he still chose not to. Wow. Yeah, like they sat with him for wow. hours in real life and spoke with him, and they were like, you know, listen, we served, you'll, you know, you served too, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, nope, and he and he didn't do it. So He, st- he stood up for it, you know, like uh... – <laughs> I forgot the direct quote, but he's, you know, it's something like, you know, he doesn't want to go there and kill other people, right? For a country that doesn't even respect him. And I, you know. Yeah, he said I, no Vietnamese person ever called me the N word. Like, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, and I, I think that he's right on the money there. You know? So, oh, man. So, uh, you know, one of the other things I really liked about this film was, and I know you mentioned you really enjoyed um, Brown's performance, right? The actor who played Jim Brown. Uh, and, yeah. And, you know, he had. He was kind of low key, you know. He was definitely way more low key than everyone else in this film, um, you know, and the way he played it. But he had some really, really good lines, you know. After this, this really like, uh, you know, emotional outburst by Malcolm, Muhammad go, uh, or Cassius Clay goes to, to uh, you know, follow and, and find um, Cook, and, and at this point, it's just Jim Brown and Malcolm sitting there, you know, and they're they're kind of going back and forth, and and Brown mentions how it's the light skinned brothers who are the most outspoken. Oh, thank you for bringing that up. Oh yeah, he's like you know how light skinned folks uh, like to sometimes light skinned folks like to give it harder to dark skinned folks than white than white people do. Um, and he asked Malcolm if he's actually if he's pushing is actually about trying to prove something to white people or or to himself, you know, or, or to black people. Um, and that's you know that's colorism, right? That's it's a it's a great uh, it's a great idea that you know he brings that up. I love that he brings that up because you know unfortunately even amongst you know people of color sometimes they you know you can be prejudiced against someone who's darker skinned than you and malcolm is is light-skinned right compared to jim brown yeah uh we have spoken about colorism not at length though but yeah you know it does originate to and you know they also talk about it next week's movie uh you know it does you know go back to the origins of slavery you know as everything does in this country really um, or most things do that, you know, there were the, the house Negroes and the field Negroes and, um, you know, based on who was, uh, you know, who, who were raped by the owners and ended up having light skinned kids and those light skinned, uh, kids would end up working in the house and kind of, um, you know, kind of develop this, uh, this Stockholm syndrome nature with, with their masters. And also because the way that they were treated, they were treated much better than those in the field, uh, that there was this resentment that, you know, that still kind of carries over to today. And I don't think it's necessarily because, oh, our ancestors, uh, didn't get along. It's more so because America accepts you because of your light skin more than it accepts me because of my dark skin. Right. That's a very, very real thing. And I think it is important that Jim Brown, br- uh, brings it up. Yeah, I, I agreed. And, and, you know, I think during this conversation, there are some other interesting things that get brought up. You know, uh, Malcolm, it, it kind of, to me, the viewpoint that, that Jim Brown kind of brings up is that Malcolm views everyone kind of as a weapon for the cause, right? Like, it almost comes to the point where, like, he stops viewing them as 
as individuals and just as, you know, tools to push the cause. And, you know, whether he's wrong or right, I, I do think in a lot of ways that kind of plays out in, in the way these conversations are going. Uh, you know, it, it, and that's he seems to care very much about that, um, you know, and, and I, I thought that was kind of an interesting take as well. And, you know, Brown said he has a lot of great quotes. He even, you know, he even says about white folks, right, that that a lot of white folks love to pat themselves on the back for not being cruel to black people. You know, and he says sometimes he hates them. He hates them more than the rednecks that get it all out there. You know, kind of kind of referring to almost like white liberals. Right. Oh, definitely referring to white liberals. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's yeah. It's like, you know, just because they're they they treated you kind of nice, they think that they're some sort of hero. Uh, and, and like he said, like, you know, he hates it almost worse than than the full on racist, because at least, you know, you know, right right away where they stand. But, you know, the white liberals and, and, and ones who, who try to, like, you know, make it seem like they're so great. And you just don't know what they're going to do next because because they're trying to play, you know, behind your back. They're going to do something. And, and I thought that was yeah. uh, that was great. Yeah, well, you know, I voted for the black president. I voted yeah. for... I would have um, voted you know, for Obama a third time, right? Exactly, <laughs> right? You know, Jordan Peele knows it. But, uh, you know, the... Oh, I, I voted for, like, one of the most diverse cabinets in history. You know, I voted against racism because I, I have voted black for friends. Biden. Yeah. You <laughs> right? know, like, so, it's like the, the typical shit yeah. that you hear from them. And, and it's just like, it doesn't mean that what you're doing is okay. You know what I mean? Like, you still have to face your own... Uh, your own inner racism, right? I mean, like, you know, I think we've discussed this on the podcast before that unfortunately all white people, you know, have, have a systematic racism in them, you know, it's just, it, it's indoctrinated into us for so many years, uh, you know, whether you realize it or not, you know, you have to consciously remember these things and, and, or, you know, remember the things that you say and the things that you think. And, you know, we have to we have to do that every single day. We have to struggle with that because it's the right thing to do, right, to break out of that system. And, you know, if you don't admit that you have it there, I don't think you can ever truly not be a racist. Yeah, and that's an uncomfortable conversation to have with anyone, let alone yourself, you know. Yeah. Did I, and the thing is, like, sometimes you might think things and only you know you thought them. Right. And even so, you're like, oh, shit, that was a little problematic or shit. That yeah. Was right. Yeah. Racist. I've been like, there. Um, yep. And uh, I never have. I'm a perfect person. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I know that you specifically. No, it, it, it is. It is definitely uh, it's definitely happened to me. And I would I would I would take it a step further and say every American. If you were born yeah, on yeah. American soil, then you you have some form of white supremacy in you because it is in everything. It is in your ads where we have black people in servant roles in, uh, you know, with Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben and all that other shit. Uh, it's in, you know, it's in your, well, I mentioned your, you know, your ads and stuff. It's in your music. It's in your movies. You know, yeah. we, we talk about how important media is and, you know, whether or not like you are a person of color, you still grow up with the lens that white people are always the good guys. White people are always the right ones. You know, I've seen more people of color as criminals on TV and, and you may not have those opinions, but they're in the back of your head. Like it is something yep. that does have to be, that does have to be deprogrammed. I do think that also, at this point, while Malcolm is trying to kind of distance himself from the nation of Islam, it is a it is still very much a part of him. And the more you look at it, the more you see it is closer to like a Scientology sort of thing. It's less about religion and more about control and money. Yeah, I think he still has the habits of using those those tools because I think that's what he's trying to do 
is that he's taking Muhammad Ali. He's, you know, he's taking, um, you know, he's taking Jim. He's taking Sam. He wants to convert them all. He wants to radicalize them all. And, you know, there, there are different ways to do everything. But the only way he knows how is to be like, listen, you have to be used as a tool against, or as a weapon, yeah. you know, as Jim says, yeah. against white supremacy. But is that not also taking freedom from black folks? Is that not also taking away their choice of how they want to fight the struggle? Yeah, and I think Jim kind of says that, right? Like, he doesn't want to be a part of that fight because it's just not what he wants to do, right? Like, he wants to be in control of his own life and make his own decisions. And again, this is just another way of, of being controlled. Yeah, I, I mean, overall, I would say that that this is um, this is a film about, about that struggle, about that struggle of activism. Uh, it's about self-doubt and... and, yeah. and you know, just trying to realize where where you are in the world, and um, you know, I've I've had this thought before, and you know, to all of you out there that are having it right now, the am I doing enough? Keep thinking that, yeah, because the second you go, you know what, I'm doing enough. That's when you're not doing enough anymore, right? And and Don't it could be complacent, some- right? Exactly. And everybody has their own part to play, as we've said before. So if it's supporting black owned businesses with your dollar, then that's your part to play. If it's, you know, you being able to get out there and protest, then that's your role to play. If it's you being able to, um, you know, expose white supremacists online or or whatever, whatever it happens to be. um, You know, I think that that's kind of the point of this. And, um, you know, it was it was shortly after I, I had earned my uh, first degree black belt. I had been sent, I had been having a lot of doubts about myself, that, <laughs> you know, um, don't even talk about the second degree. Uh, but it was, I, I had gone into the dojo and I'd had my lesson uh, with my sensei and, and I asked her like, I don't feel confident about anything I know anymore. Like I've spent, you know, however many years training and I'm doubting every single thing I know. I'm doubting if I know how to do these moves right or blah, blah, blah. And um, and she said, that's how you know you're a black belt, hmm. because you don't believe that you're good enough. That's that's what it takes. It takes yeah. you always wanting to do more. Yeah, you got be to strive for better. Right. I mean, uh, yeah. it, the, the common thing I think that a lot of leftists say and we've said it on this podcast is, you know, don't go to brunch. Right. Like, don't don't just forget about the struggle. Um, if things, you know, suddenly th- seem a little better, that's great. But keep pushing. I think keep keep pushing because it can be even better, right? And uh, you know, making sure that that these struggles that you know we remember that there's people in this this country that uh, are constantly you know fighting for their lives. Really, you know, you gotta you gotta always remember that. And and any little thing you can do to help that, I think is is really important. So yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. Now everybody did do their own part. You know, I mentioned before how. Uh... Muhammad Ali, not the prophet Muhammad, went on to uh, have like a speaking series and he became a known figure for for protesting the Vietnam War and for his activism. Uh, Obviously, Malcolm X has left his footprint. Um, Jim Brown, you know, was a great character in this movie. That's about as much as I know of him. Um, And I mean, I mean, obviously, he broke some barriers in the NFL. I think that's that's probably his his big, uh, you know, accomplishment. Then he became, you know, kind of a like a Western hero in films and stuff like that. Yeah. And obviously, you know, Sam sought to, to start sending a message uh, through, through his music. But what I want to ask you, Ty is, do you think that those were enough? Because the problems that Malcolm felt were so dire at the time and, and pressing 
are still happening today. So does it really make a difference? I know this is a very difficult question. I don't have an answer to it. That's why I'm just putting it out there to you and and also to the listeners. You know, what do you think? Do you think that um you know that 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 form of less direct action um of, you know, I'll sing about my struggle instead of openly talking about, you know, or uh, you know, instead of openly talking about it and, and holding a meeting and preaching to billions of people or or marching, you know, uh, to, you know, on protests or, or you know, carrying guns on cap on the Capitol or, or whatever. I think that was uh, the Black Panthers at one point. Yeah. But, um, you know, like, would these problems still exist today had the people with the platforms taken a more direct action? I mean, I mean, I don't think I don't think there is a right answer to that. Right. I mean, we don't. We don't really know. Uh, I mean, look, look at you can look at today again, right? Uh, Colin Kaepernick, you know, he he took a stand, and you know, Black Lives Matter, did, you know, did some good. But at the, the same opposite, time, but, we're yeah. <laughs> have we really fundamentally changed the system? Have we have we broken this cycle of oppression? You know, the, have we have we dismantled systematic racism in America? Absolutely not. So, uh, you know, it still continues today. I I think I think we just we can't. You can't be lulled into, you know, into stopping the struggle. I mean, you know, obviously Malcolm X's death was was a blow to the movement, but it didn't end there, right? You know, you still had Martin Luther King, who wouldn't die for yeah. several more years. Uh, and then, you know, what happened when he died? There were riots, right? There were riots in the streets, and um, it finally got, got the government to start actually doing something. Uh, and then I think, you know, it kind of kind of stopped a little bit there, right? You know, like, you know, once we start to get something, I feel like people subside and they 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 step back again. And you can't take that pressure off. I think you just got to keep the pressure on and, you know, no matter how you do it, whether it's, you know, singing songs of oppression or, you know, taking to the streets or, you know, the Black Panther party, whatever it might be, I just think you got to keep that pressure going and I mean, you got to hope you can change the system eventually, right? I mean, we we have to keep fighting for it and there's so many different, I, I think, ideologies for how to do that, and there there is no right answer. But uh, I, I think the more united we are and agreeing on, you know, that we're gonna try, and that's that's probably the best we can do. I, no, I think I think that's a good point. You know, just just keep keep up the pressure as much as you can in whatever in whatever way you you can. Um, you know, don't don't get complacent yeah. and don't don't get comfortable because, you know, even if it is just taking a knee during the national anthem, how many people did that fucking piss right. off? Right. And how many and how many people had to turn on the news and hear the words racial injustice? And even if it's not going to change their minds, it's in their heads. And you know what? Now they're uncomfortable. Yep. And yep. I would like to quote my my uh, amazing uh, cousin who will be on the podcast this month. Um, she said, if I have to be uncomfortable because of racism, we can all be uncomfortable because of racism. I love that. So guess what? You know, even, even if it is just posting every fucking day on your Facebook and pissing off your, your conservative (laughs) relatives or whatever it is, um, you know, just, just, just put it out there. Don't, don't, don't stay quiet and and don't get comfortable. And I know, I know it's exhausting. You know, Ty had to, had to text me and say there's an insurrection at the capitol because i was like fuck the world i don't want to know anything and you know i, I was taking a little break and, i was and, like holy uh, shit they're starving a capitol building dude you're like what huh you're, you're like uh fucking jared leto when he came when he came out of uh he was like what there's COVID? he's like covid what the hell is, who's that 
I'm like, I'm like Morty and you're Rick. You're just coming in. Morty, Morty, I know you were trying to relax, but Morty, they're storming the Capitol. Oh, man. <laughs> But you know what? But, um, I think I think educating people is so important too. I, you know, if you can change the mind of one person, I think that's incredible. I I, I mean, I, I'm gonna use myself as an example again, and you know, maybe uh, you know, this is it's a little embarrassing to say, but when I first dated, uh, the first year I dated my girlfriend, again, you know, she's Hispanic, person of color, and we we I I don't even know how it got brought up, but you know, she brought up uh, you know slavery and. And I, I think reparations and things like that. And I, I remember I, I actually said to her, I was just like, well, like, you know, wh- white people today never owned sleeves. Like, I never owned a sleeve. So, like, you know, I don't I don't have to feel sorry for that. I didn't do it. You know, and that was really my viewpoint. I, I you know, I really sincerely believe that. I was like, it's over, you know, like, race, like, like slavery is over. So, like, why, why do I have to feel bad about it all the time? Well, it's funny um, you say that's your viewpoint because I'm not sure if you ever well, thought of was. that originally, though. Well, no, but like my my thought is, at some point that made its way into your head. Yeah, I'm not sure yeah. that was ever put there originally, though. Like, so, like it had like came from social media or it came from somewhere. Oh, of course, someone it had to come from yeah, somewhere. Or someone. Exactly, and that's the like that ideology. But you know, yeah, you know, because yeah, you're and not dis- that guy. No, and when we you discussed know? it, yeah. you know, we've discussed it, at, you know, ad nauseum, and like. It, it, it made me really uncomfortable, actually. The conversation made me really uncomfortable, and I was getting really pissed off and bothered by it. And, you know, she kind of pressed the, the issue, not even just, like, during that one conversation, but, like, over time. And, like, kind of explained to me a little bit more of, like, you know, how that, you know, how slavery impacted, you know, black people to today and how uh, the systematic racism of our country impacted people today how it how it hasn't given them the same opportunities you know how how it's you know so many communities are still affected because of that and how you know like we never made it right we never made it right so you know my viewpoint today is a, is a total you know 180 i i i do agree with reparations i i agree um you know that that slavery has not been made right by by black people in this country whether they experienced it directly or not you know they they had family that were slaves and uh you know it so i guess my point is you know my 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 view has changed so much you know my eyes have have truly been open to that and i'm still learning you know i i I don't know everything about it i you know i we watch these movies we talk about i think in part to educate ourselves as much as anyone listening and i and you know it's it, it's so vital to do that and, and to to come to terms with these things and have those difficult conversations with yourself uh, and with others and, and get to a point where they start to to understand. I mean, you know, it, it took her doing that to me six years ago uh, and, you know, over the last... For you, several- doing that for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, you were like, I mean, I'm still pissed off. She said she, it the way she said. It. She <laughs> did it to me. <laughs> yeah, right. And and then, but you know, but that it was a chain reaction because then, like you know, I I mentioned my stepfather on this podcast. who said some really racist shit, like really bad stuff, and I've called him out on it, you know, uh, multiple times. And eventually, it led to some really good conversations, you know, where where he finally said to me, he's like, oh, I, I didn't realize black people felt that way when the you know when the police drove by because he saw a video of a kid hiding from a cop when he was just playing in the street, you know. Um, and then you know to my parents understanding why Colin Kaepernick actually took a knee, they they didn't get it back then. So you know just I think having those conversations and and like you said being uncomfortable is, is part of it, but it, it it really can pay off and you can really really learn. 
something yourself and you can teach other people. And, and I think that's, that's going to be key to kind of breaking out of this cycle eventually, hopefully. Yeah, uh, for a second, I thought you were going to say, and my stepdad said, I didn't realize black people felt. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> no no um Jesus dude but no that, that's that that's a great point about just changing one person's mind and and just the difference that makes and this movie is also just about the difference yeah one person can make like you know let's say you change one person's mind maybe that person has kids or something or maybe that person knows somebody and they go on to change somebody else's mind or or if they do have kids then all those future generations hopefully you know will will have a similar mindset if not even more progressive than their parent because you know, for, for as good as we try to be, like, you know, we still have our own biases, then hopefully we can raise the next generation without it if we do choose to do that. Exactly. Um, yep. You know, but uh, but the power of one person is brought up by Malcolm uh, when he mentions uh, this time that he went to a show that Sam Cooke did. And at yeah. this show, the guy who went on before him uh, kicked out the cord and Sam had no... Uh, no instrumentals, no 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 vocals, no speakers, no nothing. His band left him. The crowd was going insane. Malcolm was in the back, getting ready to go because the crowd was getting antsy. And uh, Sam just starts, you know, just starts stomping his foot, and he makes a beat for everyone to, you know, to kind of sing along to, and to step along to, and to clap along to. And he's able to sing to them that way. And this was just this was this beautiful moment. Uh, to me, because it really did represent this, you know, this kind of idea that I think people want leadership, right? Uh, first off, but I think also we all share a similar rhythm and we all want to be a part of something. You know, you just have to, you just have to make sure you're singing the right song. Yeah, uh, you know, Malcolm says the cook can move mountains without lifting a finger. You know, I thought that was a that was a great line. Just about how you know he could command an audience just with 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 song, you know, just just with his own his own music and his own beat. Um, and, and there's also a, a a line that you know Muhammad Ali says to him when when he goes to meet up with him, he gets in the car and he says to him, he's like, "Black people want power, and you have it, but you take it for granted." You know, that's what he says to him. And I think a lot of this movie is actually about, I guess, like Cook realizing the power that he he has to to enact change, you know, and, and actually be a, a greater force for this than, than he has been. I just have one, uh, two more, well, two more quotes that I li- really liked. Uh, Brown Ooh, says at me. one point, we're all just gladiators, Cash, with our ruler sitting up there in his box, giving us the thumbs up or the thumbs down. Why well, don't want no damn ruler? <laughs> I thought that was great. And I think that uh, is kind of how most of us feel, right? We don't We don't want these people... Um, you know, telling us how to live our lives and what to do and whether it's, you know, you're a black person being oppressed by racism or, you know, you're economically oppressed by the 1%. I thought that was that was a great line. Um, and for black people yeah. specifically, I think yeah. he means, you know, we're all entertainers trying to right. just keep our head above water. If we entertain the white man, we get to live another day. Right. And, you know, and to your point, I think you know, to the working class, it's more about we are all out there fighting that capitalist struggle every fucking day. You know, yeah. oh, the job market, is it competitive? Is it not competitive? And, you know, we're only valuable for as long as we can produce, for as long as we can provide labor and produce capital. And and that's it. So it does work on a few levels. We You know, we are those gladiators just trying to keep the upper class happy if it be through entertainment or through capital. Yeah, I absolutely agreed. Um, and the other quote, the last quote I had was, it's actually uh, the way the film ended. It says, it's a, t- 
It is a time for martyrs now, and if I am to be one, it will be for the cause of brotherhood. That's the only thing that can save this country. And that's actually a quote from Malcolm X uh, from February 19th, 1965, two days before he was assassinated. Yeah, and uh, I think you see in this uh, in this film a lot in next week's, but especially in this one, uh, too, that, you know, he, he was very much on edge and, you know, kind of knew, knew that it was coming. And, um, you know, you got to wonder, do a lot of do a lot of people like that throughout their lives? Do they feel do they feel like that, too? You know, when we. um you know, I brought up the, I brought up Hamilton before, and there's a whole song in that in that musical about you know his wife says, "Why do you write like you're running out of time?" Like mm. you know, like he spent so much of his life working, like he would never ever have enough time to finish his life's work, and you know because yeah, he he knew he would he would die young, and um, right. you know you, you, I don't know you just gotta wonder does does everybody who leaves an impact do they think that way? Do they think I only have so much time? to you know to to make my mark it, yeah. i mean i, I you know i think it's possible i feel that way and i you know just about things you know i'm i'm uh, an amateur filmmaker and there's times where i'm like man i've i've spent too much time not working on movies or not writing you know how much time do i have left to actually do something worthwhile and and worth remembering you know so i think uh especially when you're dealing with the struggles of an entire people and, and you're trying to make an impact there. Yeah. Well, I, I could definitely see people feeling like that. And another thing I like about the way that Malcolm is uh, portrayed in this film is that he's shown to be a lot more vulnerable than the Malcolm we see through like interviews and speeches. We see a very, a very tough um, exterior, but here with these men, we do see a more vulnerable version and, uh, you know, once again, this is, a play. It is technically fictional. It is yeah. something that has never happened. Um, but I think it's a great look into the mind. And he left behind an autobiography. He left behind a lot of you know words. So it's it's probably not that difficult to get you know to get a, an accurate representation of who he was as a person throughout different points in his life. But um, I did like seeing that more sensitive version. Um, I like seeing a more sensitive version of of all these char- of all these characters. They were all real fucking people. But yeah. I like seeing a sensitive version of uh, of of all these men because it, it is it's atypical for for us as a society and in popular media to to let black men be vulnerable. And right. you know, and I think we even see that with them in this movie that they they don't know how to feel when they're vulnerable. You know, they just act out in anger. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of a man thing in general, but. Um, but yeah, I, I, I appreciated some performances in this film. I mean, I appreciated all of them at different points. Part of me felt like some of them were kind of like caricatures, like impressions a little. Yeah. And, and just the fact that you can definitely tell it was based off of a play. Uh, there isn't really a lot in the means of setting, you know, that be obviously the time is very, yeah. is very, uh, tense, but it, it's four guys in a room, you know, and it's four very, guys in a room a and then they go to the roof. kind of move. And they go to the room, yeah. And they go to a store, but back to the room. So, uh, you know, it's tough to translate that onto film, but I think that, ju- you know, the dialogue and the characters really do, you know, they, they carry a heavy load in, in keeping us engaged that way. So Yeah, I think, I think um, overall it's pretty successful. And, and yeah. you know, just, just piggybacking off your point about, you know, seeing them in a more vulnerable state, I think a lot of times with icons like these, right, you know, uh, I mean, Malcolm X is legendary. You know, he's, he's I think you sometimes forget uh, you know, when you think, when you learn about them or think about them, that 
they're people, right? Like they, they seem so powerful or so, uh, you know, so larger than life that you forget at the same time that they're, they're a person just like you or me. And, you know, they definitely had to have insecurities and doubts and, and, you know, no matter how strongly they portrayed themselves to the public, you know, that there's, there is a side of them that, you know, we don't get to see, right? That maybe their family saw, their friends saw, or, or only they saw, right? There's only a side of you that, that you know. And, and I think it's, it's hard to remember that with, with icons, you know, as, as giant as Muhammad Ali and, and, uh, you know, as Malcolm X. Yeah, I mean, if you want to take a look at a 22-year-old athlete now, if they came out talking the way that Mal- uh, excuse me, that uh, that Cassius Clay was talking at the time, you would be like, this is ridiculous. Like, right. you know, this guy is right. so overconfident. He must never have a bad day in his life. And, you know, and we do get to see that, that more vulnerable portrayal in this film that, you know, he's actually unsure about a lot of things, as a 22-year-old, I think, would and probably should be. Yeah, you know? I didn't know shit at 22, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thought i did <laughs> yeah we all do yeah but uh but but that being said uh that was one night in miami folks thanks so much for for listening to this episode Absolutely. uh next week we are going to be reviewing malcolm x a spike lee joint uh starring denzel washington the week after that we're going to be doing judas and the black messiah that is going to be a film that's going to be released by warner brothers on hbo max for for streaming release so if you're able to cop an hbo max account uh that's what we're going to be reviewing and on that episode we will have my cousin she is a latina queen uh who works uh, with vulnerable populations doing social work and uh and helping them with mental health issues and uh our last film of the month is going to be antebellum we have a special insider guest on this episode uh, not only is he the editor of our own short film, Great Power, which will happen at some point, and uh, I mean it's happened, but it's going to keep happening. Uh, <laughs> uh, but also he he worked on the film Antebellum, so we're going to have an awesome insider uh, perspective, uh, BTS behind the scenes peak. So I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to this whole month. I can't wait to have my cousin on. I can't wait to uh, to review Malcolm X with you. It's going to be great. I'm, yeah, I'm I mean you know it's obviously very exciting to have a guest. I think it's always. Uh you know, uh, gives it gives a little more to, to talk about to, to change things up. So I'm excited to have two guests this month. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, I can't wait to fucking edit all those tracks, guys. <laughs> uh, you can do the most work for us by just recommending this podcast to another person who you think would like it or to a person who you think would hate it maybe you might change their mind and hopefully they'll leave us a five star review saying that we're liberal communist trash um, <laughs> or uh, <laughs> um. Yeah, or you can leave us a yeah, you can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, social media, fucking Google Politipop Podcast. Okay, you can find any of our accounts. This one's for us, Ty. Forget it. All right, I'm not I'm not I'm not selling out to the man anymore. Okay, Patreon probably gonna shut that down too, unless we have a patron or two on it. All right, hey, honestly, even then, I'll give you the fucking money back. Um, but uh, but but that being said, yeah, find our social media, go to our Patreon if you want, leave us a review. That would be fantastic. Uh, for and, and also thank you so much for listening and thanks to Antonia Chava as always for logo design for the Politipop podcast I have been Mike Booch I've been Ty and remember no matter what you're watching what you're reading what you're fucking thinking apparently because we all got something going on in there yep. remember to never stop thinking never stop learning because you can always grow and nothing is as it seems so please remember to read between the lines and scene.
like that. Nothing is as it seems. Does that sound like a QAnon sign-off? Or does that... <laughs> I mean, if we get the listens, whatever. You know, a bunch of Q people, I'll be like, you know what, what will really piss off the libs? If we fucking help people who are experiencing homelessness. That'll get them. <laughs> I just start leading my own Q branch. I'll be like, guys, we're upgrading to uh, R. <laughs> That's going to be our thing. We're R-anon. Nothing, nothing is as it seems. What do I mean? I mean, there's always more to the, always more to the picture. Read between the lines. All right, cool.